0: Hey guys, you're watching two P's in a podcast, and this time it's just one P in a podcast because unfortunately Shay had a bit of a scheduling conflict, which has made it that I'm the only one here to do this interview. Uh, we have Heather Schmidt, who is an American Grammy member, international recording artist, classically trained singer, musician, lyricist, television host, spokesperson, and philanthropist. Wow. Well, this is exciting. <laughs>
1: Hello. Good <laughs> Thank to see you for you. taking the
0: time and uh, for doing this interview. Really, really, really appreciate it.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm so glad.
0: How are you on this fine morning?
1: I'm good. I'm doing good today. It's finally spring here. I live um, outside of Boston and so it's been warm and sunny and everybody's feeling a little happier because, um, you know, good. we get so much snow and in the winter we're like so cranky <laughs> around here. <laughs>
0: That's really fun, actually, because we where, well, I'm I'm obviously based in the UK, and and we've got nice looking weather, but it's not very nice on the temperature. It's very deceptive. You go oh t-shirt weather, and you go outside, and you're like,
2: well,
0: no, it's not t-shirt weather really? yet. <laughs> <laughs> Sat in the garden with a coat on and beer or something.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, and it was raining earlier today, so that's you're comfortable with that weather, right? Yeah,
0: very used to that weather. We we moan about it a lot, but we can't do it without it.
1: <laughs> that's right. That's right.
0: Just one of those things. <laughs> so uh, I was just going through your uh, career. Really. I spent the whole like, day researching you and really enjoying like your story from where you began and, and, and your, you know, like, where you currently are and stuff. So let's just go back to sort of your roots. Really? Um, you've had an extensive musical career dating back to 2003. Um, but mm-hmm. prior to your first album, you earned a scholarship at Boston university where you were classically trained as an opera singer, composer and pianist. What was it about classical music that you just absolutely loved?
1: Oh, yeah. I loved the, um, I loved how smart it was, honestly. I grew up in a small town in Connecticut, Marlborough, Connecticut. And we were lucky to have like a really good music program. We had awesome like elementary and middle school and high school, great, great uh, foundation in music. And so, you know, I was exposed to a lot of different styles of music. And we were near the Hart School of Music, which is in Hartford, and it's a really great like opera school, basically, and classical music training school. And so, as we all in high school would get better and better, uh, we would find the Hart School of Music. And I had an amazing opera teacher, Mildred Coleman, who was an incredible. She was a faculty at that, and she helped me to understand how cool it was and how, um, you know, hard it was. As I was in high school, it was like really driven to, um, try new things and try hard things and like really, you know, delve into, um, you know delve into something really deeply and mute and opera music and classical music is that it's this um collaboration of sophisticated elements you have a full orchestra you have a cello player playing this beautiful intricate line and then you have the violinist who like you know they all meld together and then you also get to be uh, in that and it's this beautiful like tapestry all flowing together that um you know that sounds beautiful um but it's also smart you know Mm. as you're listening to it and then and then as i you know researched and got into it, it also really helps your brain you know, I was I realized that I was kind of tending to it to just like chill out, like help to chill out. You know, I'm like an overly excited person. I'm going thousand places. And so it helps me just chill out. And I um I see now, like on Spotify, everybody, you know, uses classical music to study. It's like um, it does really help to chill out, you know.
0: Yeah. I I remember when I was like back at high school, just revising for exams and things, you know, classical music was something that I would normally turn to not even realizing that actually part of that was like, you you mentioned sort of scientific aspects of it that help your brain sort of function. It, it just, I think partly my acknowledgement really was the fact that if you listen to what would be regular music, it has lyrics and you, and you start like listening to that or singing along, but classical, Mm -hmm. it's kind of an emotional journey, isn't it? And I think most of. What I grew up with, although it wasn't classical in the sort of classical sense, it was more like movie scores and that kind of classical area. Oh, okay. So there's two different yeah. two different genres, although it's still part of classical, it's still very different sounds. So that was kind of like my childhood, really classical oh, music. Me. Yeah.
1: Oh, that's neat, like the Star Wars soundtrack or like um, Yeah, I,
0: I was I am still a big Star Wars fan. So
1: do. And me you do. Oh, brilliant. Yes.
0: What's your favorite film?
1: Well, I, I mean, I was totally into Mandalorian. Like, oh, I have, I have a baby Yoda. He was sitting right here on my couch. And <laughs> baby Yoda has lived so much in our lives. Like, um, I really liked the new stuff. Um, but, yeah, the Star Wars came out when I was really little, the, the first ones. And so we, it was such an epic, like, uh, monumental experience for us. And it was so formative, Um, but the movie score is incredible and incredibly important to the storytelling, you know?
0: For sure. Yeah. Um, I think, um, you know, what John did with that score, just completely changed cinematic like movies from that point on, didn't it really? Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I felt like I'm showing my age a little bit there, but I, I, I sort of, I got onto Star Wars when it was, when the first three was already out. So my, my step sort of lent me the videos and I was like. What's this all about then? <laughs> and start watching it and I just got hooked straight away.
1: Yeah, you didn't even know about it.
0: No, I, I, I was a special edition kid, me.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, well, it came, out, or it came out what, in the 80s? It was really, yeah. 77
0: was the first one.
1: Okay, okay, yeah.
0: We'll just say 80s, it's just easier.
1: Okay. Yeah. Well, you're sorry. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was really impactful. And I think about how, like, you know, everybody watching the Mandalorian, like I watch it with my son and we're like experiencing the same thing that we experienced when we were a little, you know? Yeah. It's um, magical, it, isn't it? It is really magical. And the music is so integral to it. And so important to um, like, I'll see him, he's uh, nine now and he, he sings those melodies know just like throughout life and day like he he hears that melody and it just sticks with him you know
0: that's that's a sign of a good score isn't it having a great little melody or a rhythm that you can that's just sort of like sing along to
1: classical music yeah. right like you you never know which which is the part is the melody it's not so obvious like in um, pop music
0: that's true yeah, yeah. very much so who and um, what? Who, who was your inspiration when you were growing up then in terms of classical
1: well you know uh so so our our music program in high school we got to do a lot of competitions and so we were exposed to a lot of different styles of music i remember finding out about kathleen battle she was like the divas diva of opera stars right she was like throwing stuff type of diva like you know like the met fired her like twice you know and then they (laughs) brought her back because she was so incredible and then they fired her again because she's so hard to work with (laughs) she had this incredible voice like the just like really light and, and expressive, but so, uh, impressive. She played all the, um, you know, Cherubino, she plays these cute little fun roles, but she's so intense and what a great actor. So I remember being like, oh, that is so, and, and it's so difficult music, you know? Uh, so I remember I was really in love with her. I also really, um, you know, I loved Whitney Houston. I loved Kelly Clarkson. I, you know, her, her album, that first album was incredible. Um, you know, of course, Taylor Swift, I loved, you know, I was, I really grew up on, on pop music and classical music as like two different worlds that were like, you know, depending upon my mood and, and, um, or what I was doing, um, you know, going between, going between the worlds
0: like that. Yeah. I was going to say, cause I was reading your history again, talking about the, um, your sort of entrance to the music world, really, um, following the sort of miss millennium international pageant, you became known as sort of the, the pop dance artist during that time. So what was the change between that? You started off sort of training classical and sort of the shift into pop. How did that happen? And did that shift in genre get influenced by that pageant at all?
1: Well, it was influenced by the location. We were, um, me and my friend decided to, once we graduated BU, we were going to go down to Vegas and we we're going to compete in this Miss Millennium International pageant. We didn't really, it's just our fun thing. We were like, let's go it's going to be so fun. And growing up in um, Connecticut and also at school, doing pageants was a way to sing opera. Because you know, uh-huh. there was it's a way for us to like increase our performances and really get our stuff together and um and you know make college money. Um so, so was that like, your about, main
0: reason for doing that then was just to sort of get build that platform for you.
1: Well, it was like we were we knew what it was like I, I had done pageants. Since uh, Mrs. Coleman had all of her students doing pageants, honestly, (laughs) the ones that could do them, because that was a really good way to hone your performance skills and your, you know, speaking. And, uh, you know, she she understood that it was a good way in Connecticut for people. You know, we were from a small town in Connecticut. So so um, I had seen that pageant in Vegas and I didn't I hadn't been to Vegas before, but I was like, I know this world. Like I know this world and, and it was like a celebration. We weren't taking it seriously at all. And uh, so we just competed and I, and I won. And when I won, they were like, okay, you're a, you're, it was a year contract in Las Vegas and it was a new car. And it was, they they were trying to figure out what to do with the performance part of it. You know, they wanted it to be a beauty queen thing. Like they, you know, do the conventions, do the car shows. And I was like, Oh no, girl. No, no, girl.
0: <laughs> That's just not me.
1: <laughs> uh, no. It's not gonna happen. Um so so we had uh we came to an agreement where we you know put our minds together. And you know Vegas? They they knew what was good for them with commerce-wise. They're like, she's not gonna sell the car as well. She know she's gonna be passive aggressive, it's gonna be hard to deal with. Let's let's understand that where the money is gonna work in this. Um, And if Vegas knows anything, they know that, right? So they were like, we, so we came together and we had some, uh, they had some friends who were dancers and we just put together this show. And the show was six dancers and it was like Euro pop dance music. And some of the music was my music that I had recorded and others was, you know, covers and stuff. And I had, I would open for shows um, at the MGM grand and different, um, casinos wow. and they're awesome. There were so many theaters and, and then we had a, like a, a mall tour. Basically we, we hooked into Simon malls and we were doing this show every Wednesday in Vegas. And then we would do like a, a weekend show, um, at Simon malls. And it was awesome, exciting and, um, terrifying for, <laughs> you know, an opera singer in Vegas. Like, What have I done? <laughs> <laughs> all at the same time. It was really incredible.
0: What a fantastic experience that must have been though, eh?
1: It was intense. Yeah, It was intense. You know, I was, um, I learned how to self advocate. Let's say that that was the year I learned how to speak my voice, you know, or like to speak what was, what I felt was right. And what, um, uh, because that line gets really iffy quickly, if you don't, establish your boundaries at that time this was you know a while ago so but um it was it was a really great experience now that I think about it but also really growing you know yeah how to put a show together how to tour how to you know deal with difficult managers you know there's so much
0: I think that's something that a lot of artists need to kind of get as well because I just funny enough quite recently there's been a UK Um, artist who I think was the the product of an X Factor one of the years and it's just coming out now that the way that she was treated the way some of her um, competitors or you know the competition were treated the stuff they were made to sign just to be on the show and, and basically just really like terrible things that Ordinary jobs would never get away with. So why is it okay to do that? So she's becoming sort of like the voice of everyone else now, trying to have a full investigation into the rules and regulations and get things changed and just really support fellow artists really. So the fact that you kind of had your own mind back then and and kind of knew what was right, what was not right and had your own voice, I think is just fantastic.
1: Well, it's a really hard place for women, young women singers to be in because you're, you're so desperate for success. You see it right in front of you. Um, and these men, they're all men, uh, you know, that are in my case, they were all men uh, making decisions on your behalf. And you're young and impressionable and so like agreeable. I'm a naturally mm-hmm. agreeable person. And you really can get yourself And you do get yourself into really difficult situations they to this day own all of that music that i wrote i didn't think or know to to try to keep my rights i didn't you know and and it was it was bad music anyway so really you (laughs) You can keep it (laughs) you can have it (laughs) and so like but it was such a learning experience as a woman by myself in vegas is extremely intimidating You know, you have to be, you become much more suspicious, like, okay, Mm. wait, what is behind this? I have to go and I have to read that paper and I got to really actually look at it. And it's all of that stuff.
0: So moving forward a few more years then, um, you went to China, you were the first American to perform for the Miss tourism world pageant. How did you land that gig?
1: That was an epic gig. (laughs) It was so fun. That was, how did I land that gig? That was networking. That was a networking okay. thing. You know, that's the thing that, you know, if we're, if we're doling out advice, that's a real pillar of this industry is, um, you know, I started performing in, in China to open five-star hotels so for example we there was a new four seasons coming into Hunan province and they do these amazing gorgeous elaborate shows and i was the um you know banquet hall they they transform it into this beautiful pyrotechnic you know amazing show But it's essentially the ballroom, you know, and so I would do these ballroom shows and they were so easy. It was like two shows and people were just so happy and sort of drunk and like it was a great show. And then we would tour uh, all of that local area because they were smaller emerging market. Um, And it was a blast. So I had I had gotten known throughout the booking agents of which I don't know if maybe there was 20 at the time. And they uh, they knew that I was uh, put on a good show, that I was fun to be around, that, you know, that I was going to be easygoing enough to to deal with and, um, and that the show was good. And so they told each other, you know, then. And so that was kind of how that happened. This Agent was doing the Miss Tourism World pageant with the TV show, uh, with the live show, and also this, this beauty pageant, which was in the most beautiful. It was in Wugong Mountains. It was the show was placed in the base of Wugong Mountains. So oh, it wow. It sounds gorgeous, amazing. And they built a full uh, 20 story waterfall that was the back of the stage. What? And the water just flowed, and they had a moat in the front, and lights, and epic, epic, (laughs) such a beautiful. That sounds
0: amazing.
1: And then all of us girls, all the, oh, they were so cute. All the little beauty queens, you know, that was my world before. So I really, you know, so we would do a rehearsal on this stage in the mountains with the water flowing. And then we would go like climb the Wugong Mountains, you know, with beauty pageants. They have like a local event. You have to do all the fun local events. And so we went to uh, the Wugong Mountains and me and, I don't know, 40 um, young, beautiful, like not, physically able to get to the top. None of us could get to the top of that mountain, <laughs> oh, like, what is And we were really suffering, but uh, we climbed the mountain. And then it was in an area that had a lot of hot springs. So they had the, So we would do our rehearsal. Everything would be going great. I was, you know, the musical performance. It was not a, a hard gig at all. And then we went to the local hot springs and it was the, you know, the water that comes out from the earth and mm-hmm. they were so fun. So <laughs> fun.
0: It reminds yeah. me of Iceland a little bit because they've got a lot of hot springs over there yes. as well.
1: Yes, there's an area they picked, they did a really a wonderful job researching where to put the put the, um, uh, put the pageant, but it was a really beautiful area. There was a lot of natural hot springs and all of these cool resorts were there where you would come and then you'd drink papaya juice and like, you know, it was so nice. It was really fun.
0: You give me like travel envy again now.
1: <laughs> oh man. I, I have so much. That's why I'm literally telling you this story. I have so much of that. I'm watching all the travel shows and
0: I that's think everyone's watching travel shows. I mean, I'm just looking, I've got the whole, before I started really doing YouTube, I have like, I did a lot of travel vlogs just cause they were for my own purpose to look back on in years to come and just see what I got up to. And with my kid yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So it's like a little, little memento, my legacy, if you like. Um, oh, and I have yeah. like a whole shelf that's dedicated to all these DVDs just stacked right across. I'm like,
1: yeah, fancy watching
0: this one today. <laughs> it's just, it's What's great. Your favorite?
1: What's your favorite spot?
0: Oh, it depends on my mood. I, yeah. I, not as a rule, but I've always thought I would never go back to the same place twice. Cause I think, you know, you got money to spend, you okay. want to go and see different places.
1: Absolute. I'm with you. I am with you. Having said so that. So which one was the most epic?
0: I think Iceland is one of my favorite okay. places. It's yeah. just so diverse. And depending oh on what time God. of year you go, that yes. same place that you visit can look completely different. So it's just really absorbing all of that. But also oh. the Philippines as well, I have quite a big heart for the Philippines because yes. a lot of my audience is based out there. That's the same say with Rio and, and Jonah and everyone else. So it's just nice. It's like a second life out there. So I get to kind of mingle with people, meet some artists, go and see the islands. And it's just, okay. it's just another, another kind of trip entirely. So I think Iceland and the Philippines are two of my, two of my favorite. Places mm-hmm. to go. Yeah. Okay, yeah. good.
1: Those are on my list.
0: Yeah, For definitely. Sure. Try. I haven't
1: done either of them and I've always wanted to.
0: Oh, you should, you should definitely do it. I think the Philippines has a massive um, music culture as well. So if you want to oh, try and
1: amazing. Amazing. Yes. Yeah.
0: We'll try and get you out there.
1: <laughs> okay, Ria. <Rhea>. Okay, Ria. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. So back yeah. on to China. Um, you had a TV show called the ambassador, which was well received by critics and viewers. Tell us more about the show.
1: Yeah. The ambassador was a travel show, uh, which based on the performances in different, um, parts of the country and more rural up and coming cities in China. And it was a, it was based on they had a travelogue show that on uh, their English channel. And so we, and a crew would, the crew would basically follow my, my shows. And um, because they, I was performing in these interesting cities and doing fun things and every show I do benefited a local charity. So we would go into a lot of times a local orphanage and um, and I would harangle the new um, hotel opener uh, the new hotel owner to give money to the charity. Um, and so we we really um, you know, it was a really nice way to share with uh all of china some of the different charities the wonderful charities that were happening in china now having said that i'm not sure that the communist government really loved all of that exposure Mm. so it was a one-year short-lived uh tv show which i loved and people (laughs) did really like it but they loved it for a year and it was the kibosh and i did hear that um you know we went to um Hebei is a city in northern China. And we went to a, a village, a smaller village that was affected by the AIDS crisis and weren't ever able to get the antiretrovirals. So there, you know, we, we may have, teps, you know, stepped into some things that they, the communist government, you know, CCTV is a national TV station. And in a lot of ways, they really do keep close tabs of things. Mm. And um, so, yeah, so that got the, <laughs> psh, psh. It, was, huh? <laughs> it was good while it lasted. Yeah, and I
0: did manage to do some outreach programs to the charities. So that's always good.
1: It was good. And, and, you know, it was sort of following what I was doing anyways. Um, but I was really glad that was my favorite part to be able to share um, with a wider audience, you know, because that brings more, um, more people donating and volunteering and mm-hmm. yeah, exposure.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I've read a quote from you stating and I'm paraphrasing that music mm-hmm. is a universal language. It cuts through political unrest, cuts through language, cuts through the dramas of the day and connect music means more to you than just a good beat. So how do you use music to connect with people?
1: in like a billion ways you know we all do this we all do this um you know with uh traveling through china that's is where i really understood that music was more was more than just entertainment it was connection it was building bridges it was um breaking down barriers you know um I, I, because I had an opera background, I was really good with languages. So I learned Mandarin songs, and, and I would be singing them for fun when we were uh, going through the orphanages. And it was a really different experience when I sang a song that was so close to them. You know, it's not going to be meaningful for me to sing one of my, you know, um, pop songs um, in a different language and, you know, in a different style of music. And but singing a song that they grew up with that they really enjoyed and loved they um, it connects it shows that you care it's like it's a connection mm-hmm. and the more i traveled the more that, that you know kept that that just kept coming up you know and especially with the tv show it was talking about music from all so many different cultures in china such a massive country you know and um, exploring the indigenous music and exploring the rhythms and, you know, the history is unreal. And, um, and so those are, so those are the ways that it was like, well, I really understand that music is fun and entertaining. I was, you know, I, I was a, a beauty pageant queen, right? Like it's just entertaining. But as you get more into it, you see that the connections are made and you bring, uh, you know, you bring happiness, you bring joy, you, you know, you make connections with people and, And, um, you help, you know, one faction understand about another faction and you yourself get rid of that, you know, um, or try to get rid of that, like American sensibility that that nothing is past your borders.
0: Mm. Was it difficult to learn Mandarin or particularly like the pronunciation on certain lyrics, I guess?
1: (laughs) Brilliant.
0: Fluent, fluent, brilliant. <laughs>
1: um you know, it's like singing. Because there's the tones and the singing tones, actually it's a little bit easier for me because I'm used to learning the tones and writing, um, you know, when things are supposed to go up and when they're, you know, so Um, and it's also easier. They say that if you want to learn something, learn it to music, like the ABCs, when you're teaching your little toddler, the ABCs, you teach them to music, because how would you remember that sequence of 26 letters? Like, you know, it's easier to sing a Mandarin song than it is to like, you know, learn it. That's a good point.
0: Actually, I was picking up um, a Filipino song and I can, I, there are words that I can you know, in front of me I can sing because I know how it's pronounced because I've heard the original artist sing the song. But just to speak the word, I don't know if my intonation's incorrect or the way I might hold on to a particular letter. I don't know if that's right because obviously in songs you can elongate particular words. And I'm just so like, right. I can sing it to you, but I can't say it.
1: <laughs> that's so interesting. Yes, yes. And that came up when I was doing, um, you know, when I do Urdu songs and Pakistani songs, I do have... Um, you you listen carefully for you you have a, a native speaker help you to be able to like re, in the recording studio I have uh, always someone who's because if you go hello and you're like why are you saying it like that you <laughs> yeah. know, it's exactly
0: the same way yeah that must so, be strange yeah.
1: Um, yeah it happens it does happen
0: you mentioned Pakistan then so as I understand it you are married to a Pakistan. Uh, is he pakistani national or is he Is he he he's a
1: native uh, native of pakistan yes rafi and i were both learning how to meditate at bu so we thought we were gonna like be spiritual and relax and whatever and and so um yes i uh we met at bu he was finishing his medical school and i was in opera school and he was this cute little fun guy who love to travel and he like talked a mile a minute like I did and we had so many similarities it was like instant soulmate wow. and so, I. so
0: you connected not just in sort of meditation but spiritually kind of as well
1: yeah because you know we we're both young and like seeking seeking out these new spiritual paths and also um you know he's a really big travel lover like I am and Um, exploring different cultures and he loves languages. He speaks five languages and yeah, he's a very interesting guy. He went to medical school in Russia and speaks, you know, learned all medicine in Russia and then came to the (laughs) U S. That's um, gotta
0: be so hard.
1: It was really hard. Yeah. He had to, he had to relearn everything into English and pass the medical school, medical exams in the U S, which he did, which he did
0: Wow. Well, congratulations.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It was no joke.
0: That's amazing. I, I'm still trying to get my head around just, well, English for one, but <laughs> a lot of other <laughs> languages. Just I can pick up a few bits here. It's always, maybe, I don't know whether you find the same thing as well. Well, obviously you, you don't because you have multiple languages as well, but like for British people, because a lot of the European continent do speak English, although they have their own languages, we find it easy just to accept that they'll speak English back and you try and if they can't, you just sort of try and figure out a way of communicating that, that, that gap really. Um, but British people were, qu- were quite lazy when it comes to languages.
1: Oh my What are you talking? You're talking to an American. <laughs> Nobody in the world thinks Americans are great linguists and ready to like learn everyone's languages. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's really, um, that's another thing with, you know, with cultures, if you spend that extra time really getting down, you know, like 10 really good phrases, mm-hmm. you know, like ordering food, saying hello, you know, like the basic ones. Um, it goes a long way, and then of course you know, pull out Google Translate.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: It's really great.
0: <laughs> it's it's great for many languages, but Filipino isn't one of them. Google no. tends to f- no, it trips over itself quite a lot. Sometimes it doesn't even translate anything because it's just like I don't understand any of these words. <laughs> well, thanks, Google. <laughs> yeah, thank
1: you. Thank you. For However,
0: I do have an app called Drops, which I can't recommend enough. It's very visual. Wow. It's yeah, it's it's it'll teach you a word and what it means. And then it will throw different scenarios that like you saying. So which one is, you know, is this word and you kind of link it to that picture or you have to okay. spell it. And, and some of it's kind of audible as well. So you, you get quite a mix for different, for a variety of learning, um, practices wow. really.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's
0: really, really good. And I've actually picked up quite a lot of Tagalog actually because of it.
1: Oh, wow. And then somebody good. says
0: to me, Oh yeah. If you go to Cebu, they speak in a different dialect exactly. and you go, okay, well, I'll just say a then. <laughs> just, <Okay. laughs> one language is well. enough, I think.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. It's still, I'm still very much a beginner, but yeah, a little goes well, a long way, right?
1: You got to practice with somebody. You got to practice with Ria. You got to use your words. That's the hard part. I always find is to get past that word of, okay, I can say five phrases, but I'm so afraid to say them to anybody. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And then they go, what, 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 what? You know, like you got to get past that. That's like the second phase. I feel like.
0: I think if you can hold up a, a very basic conversation, that's a very good start. Yeah. The, the most basic thing I can say that that has any you know more meaning than just a simple hello or thank you is to Ingles," which is "Do you speak English?" Because if <laughs> I say yes, the rest of it's easy for me.
1: You're like done. <laughs> And you're, uh, you're likely, there's a high percentage that the answer is yes. <laughs>
0: well, yeah. And then, the then I get lazy again. Why well, I don't need to learn the rest, then do I?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's the oh. thing. You gotta just keep on trying. That's what, I, when I go to um, China and speaking Mandarin, they don't always understand you because of the different tones. And, what, and I just have to go, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna, you know, like, psyching yourself back up. and keep Is it on true trying. that
0: you can say the same word in different ways? So yes. intonation, and it can mean something completely different.
1: It does. Ooh, so like confusing. ma, ma is like horse, and ma is like, uh, this isn't right, but like the, and um ma, so there's four tones. There's like the straight oh, tone, No way. there's the bendy tone, there's the uh, rising tone, and then there's the falling tone.
0: <laughs> that is, that's just to confuse you more, isn't it? Gee, that's quite a lot.
1: It's singing. It's singing. You have to just sing it.
0: <laughs> That's true. And I suppose if you've got a great vocal range. What is your range, by the way? I never asked.
1: Well, I'm a lyric soprano, so I sing all the way up to like a high G above high C to, you know, I have a three and a half octave range. It's a, <sighs> it's a lot for a soprano. But yeah, I worked on it.
0: Yeah, I bet. Does it take a lot of... I, I'm, it's weird. Yeah. Most of my, my channel on YouTube is sort of musical based, but I'm not a musician. So I have a lot of respect for artists doing their, you know, performing and stuff. But I just, I would, I'd love to know the technicalities and, and just seeing how you, you train up to become that great, really.
1: Well, you, uh, with opera, you do, you do uh, these vocal exercises, you do these vocal exercises every day, no matter what, because if you don't do them for two weeks, then you lose the, you know, the top part of your range. You can't sing as, as high. Um, and everyone says that it's a bit athletic because it's like training your vocal cords. So mm. like, you know, you're going to the gym and you're making them strong. And if you have not gone to the gym for, you know, a month or then you got to just re retrain, you know, it's breath support. You have sing, sing long, long notes for a long time. You really have to be able to support your, um, your breath for singing that long, and then there's tone. You want it to sound good. The tone of your voice, if it's so, you know, when to want it to sound like that, you want the tone to be pretty. So you practice that part. And then you want, if you want to sing high, you practice all these little staccatos, you practice all the little staccatos to try to, to get higher and higher. And then eventually you do.
0: Wow. How often do you train? Is it every day?
1: It is. Yes. I have a wonderful coach. And, um, I do train with her every week and I make sure I practice. You can't see my piano is right, is right here behind me.
0: (laughs) How, how long do you train for? Is it like a 30 minute session or do you? It's like, yeah,
1: it's like 20 minutes, 30 minutes. I just go in front of the piano and I do all my exercises. And if I'm working on an aria, um, and I've been working on my new, um, arias, my Mozart arias. So I keep Working on different sections, and then I sing through the song, and then I, you know, think about which part didn't go well. Maybe my breath support wasn't as good, so I wanted to make sure, you know, you work on different pieces of it. Mm. And uh, and then I sing through the, the, not all of them, just like one. Yeah, okay. and every day when you do that, it's like, you know, when you go to the gym, eventually, I don't know, if statistically I've heard <laughs> this, I don't personally know.
0: Uh, so they say, I've never been... <laughs> I, I don't really go to the gym that often. It's very rare. It's, uh, yeah, I used to have a personal trainer. I used to come to my house. Is how lazy I am. So.
1: Oh no! The, no, my my trainer, which I used to use, is now on Zoom. So we Zoom train now. Oh, wow! That's how okay. life is. This is where we've ended up. Like everything yeah, well, is
0: Zoom. Yeah, and you can you can argue and say that's quite normal now. But before lockdown, that was like my life of like almost a year I used to have t- two or three sessions a week and the training would come around and bring some gear and we just kind of, yeah, That's
2: awesome. yeah, it's That's good.
0: I, it saves me time. Cause I had a, a daughter as well last year. So it's, it meant I had a bit, bit of extra time with her, you know, yes. before and after the session, no driving and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's been, it's been quite good, but I'm starting yeah. to get back into fitness again, actually, because I've just, I've started to see the pounds starting to creep up a little bit I'm like, all right, Dan. Cut the crap now. Look, <laughs> just to, to think know, about it now.
1: <laughs> Me and my sister are doing Peloton now. And I'm like, I don't want to join the cult of Peloton, but you know what? It's really awesome. So <laughs> it looks
0: intense. I saw the ads on telly and I was like, yeah,
1: oh, yeah, you got to be the
0: right kind of person to do that. Cause I, no, like, it
1: isn't. No, I'm not that right kind of person at all. And it's fine. <laughs> I did it, started it with my sister. Cause we were both like, oh my God, we got to do something. And it's just an app. So they have little 20 minute things you can run on your treadmill and whatever. Yeah. Hmm. It's for everybody.
0: Interesting. I might, I might think about it. I I just, I don't have a bike, so it might take me a while to get back on the saddle. Pun intended, you know, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, because of your cultural outreach throughout your career, you've been embraced by Pakistani nationals even performed for the president. So how did your music take you to Pakistan?
1: I was in the recording studio in Los Angeles finishing up my third album with Rich Balmer and there was a massive earthquake in Pakistan. So my husband and his family, um, his family is in Pakistan. His sister, his parents were at the time his um, his brother and their kids. And uh, it was a horrifying um, earthquake. Like. Like um, fifty six thousand people died. It was really really bad. And um, so Rafa, my husband's a doctor, and he said I'm going to help with the relief fund. They they were helping to bring like like um, you know, uh, stuff for for braces and whatnot from mm-hmm. the um, orthopedics in Boston. And so he was um, going, and I said I'm coming too. And he was like, oh well. Here, how can you help us? You know, and I said I'm going to sing, and so I looked. They were having a charity uh, event, a really large scale fundraising event in Lahore, Pakistan. At the same time, he was going, so it was very serendipitous. It was this World mm. Festival, and so I went and I performed the music that I was writing in the studio at the time. And uh, it was, you know, more about the co- connection and fundraising, and and then I aligned with a few brands at that time to help uh, raise more funds uh, for Northern Pakistan, which was where the earthquake had been. And then we went to to Northern Pakistan. Like Lahore is here, and then Islamabad, and then the northern part. Um, and so we, uh, so it was an incredibly um, impactful. Event and and Rafay was really the reason why I went in the first place, and I was so glad to. We had kind of learned all of these things about how music and um, can bring people together. And at that time, 2013, Pakistan was very divided, and um, there was there was a lot of bloodshed, and you know. Um, there was barriers over everything, and it was really in a really difficult place. And we asked a, uh, Anwar Maksud, who's the most famous lyricist in Pakistan. He's a Shakespeare. He's like the Shakespeare of Pakistan. We said, would you like to write a song with us that talks about the wonderful pieces of Pakistan and all of the wonderful parts of, of the different regions? and to help celebrate the unity of Pakistan, rather than um, all of the disunity, like to celebrate the wonderful parts. And so he he wrote these amazing lyrics. And we also worked with um, Ashud Mahmood, who is, he runs the, the largest music school in Pakistan and it's Eastern music. And he plays the tabla and uh, so he helped to write the arrangement of the song. And then we brought it to, uh, to, to my producers in L.A. and to Berkeley School of Music Players to give it a more of, a you know, a, a fusion, basically, a Western mm. and Eastern. And at that time, we filmed local musicians playing the Erhu and the, um, uh, the Tabla and the local musicians in the villages were also on the album. So they played on the song too. It fused in. And then on August 13th, it's their biggest, it's like their 4th of July. We released the song, honestly, not knowing what was, you know, Oh, we're just going to release the song and hopefully uh, people like it, or if they don't, it'll pass by, you know? Mm. Um, And uh, they loved it. They loved his lyrics. They loved, it was just the right time and the right message and, um, and so I started performing it everywhere. Um, and it was really a wonderful, uh, you know, it has been, I think, you know, when I look back at my life, that's going to be the thing that, that I feel like is most meaningful to me.
0: Yeah. I think that's, that's great. Um, a time of need really the sort of lyrics of hope and like unity the bit which says it all for itself, doesn't it really? Um, so you have released songs in Urdu, um, Can you speak the language fluently or is it something that's, did you just learn what you needed to learn for the song?
1: (laughs) I learned (laughs) enough to get by, (laughs) enough to to speak with our relatives and not anymore, (laughs) unfortunately. So if you are teaching a cool uh, class on economics in Urdu, I am going to get seven words and... (laughs) 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 that's as far as i can go um but i do you know um i do okay um but also rafi was in the recording studio to make sure to honor anwar maksud's lyrics and also um i've been doing different um hawalis and and ghazals which are you i also don't want to get the inflection wrong because you were talking about so i always ask him
0: Yeah, I suppose that's quite the the tricky thing about different languages is, is getting the right pronunciation, especially if you're releasing a song. It's sort of that fear, isn't it? Like you can sing something that sounds great, but if it's not right, people will pick you out on that.
1: That's right. And I have found the uh, Pakistani audience to be very forgiving um, and very, you know, loving in that way. They kind of just like the sentiment. They appreciate it, which I love. But I also want to respect the authors and the writers and the musicians and the, you know, the original poet.
0: I was just going to say, actually, it's like poetry, isn't it? You sort of want to try and capture that essence.
1: Well, the Urdu poetry has such a um, a history to... Um, You know, Anwar Maksud says the most beautiful things, but it had also been very subversive. So he he will say things to government that only he can say because he's so damn funny, you know, (laughs) and you can't not love it. You know, so he makes fun of corruption. He makes fun of the leaders. He 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 speaks truth to power in ways that's incredibly effective because he is so funny. And people love to laugh that and they go, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. You know?
0: (laughs) Wow. That's some confidence there. (laughs)
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) Imagine like the first time you told a joke or something or or meant or or said anything against them, you'd be like, oh, scary. It's good that they received it so well.
1: It's, well, it's courageous. He's been, well, he is 82 now. He has been doing it his entire lifetime. And in Pakistan, before they used to switch out leaders, uh, they'd have a coup every you know, six months, eight months, two years. So he has been through every different kind of leadership. And he um, and just sitting with him in, in the living room, hearing about the stories of martial law, hearing the stories about like socialism. It's really amazing amazing mm,
0: some fantastic stories there um I bet there's a load of a load of life lessons from there as well isn't there like some so much he can sort of give as advice and especially with you know the
1: years that he is now he's yeah yes he does he he his truth his truth to power has always had honesty to it and people mm. really have loved that and he writes dramas you know he writes the dramas he writes comedies he writes plays. But I don't think any books yet. All right, right. There yeah. you go.
0: Maybe propose the idea. Your, Life lessons.
1: Yes, needed your, yeah.
0: <laughs> so let's talk about uh, your new documentary called Rhythm and Raga. Tell us a little bit about, about that series.
1: Oh, Rhythm and Raga was the making of the unity song. And we filmed it in the villages of Pakistan with the instrumentalists uh, with their instruments that they had you know, grown up with or made or created. And um, it's the making of the song in Pakistan in a very turbulent time. So, you know, one of the scenes is so so in the beginning, we're just trying to to create the song and we're just physically writing the song and, and working with the musicians. And then as we're going, we're um, starting, I was doing some live performances. And at that time, I did a a cricket, a live cricket, you know, cricket's huge in Pakistan. Mm. And so we did, there was a massive cricket event, and they weren't sure if they were going to do it, because they were worried about rioting and worrying about trouble. And um, you know, bombs, people would just, you know, put, It's a, it was a really bad time, tough time, but they did do the event and I was the halftime show. And halfway through singing the whole, it was probably 30,000 people, the whole audience rushed the, you know, where I was. I was sitting on the pitch. And so I'm looking out and the TV camera is here and I'm here and I'm looking out and the camera people can't tell, but the whole entire audience is <laughs> running full on booking it. Like, oh, I go, well, this is how I went. And it was good while I lasted. And <laughs> Stampede's not a horrible way to go. And, and so um, it was just a event of after that happened. Stuff like that happened all the time. It was just event after event. Um, and it's just at that time, the way that people had to live, you know, Um, and the fact that we got the song finished was really a blessing because it was needed. It was needed, but it was really hard to, um, hard, hard to get finished.
0: (laughs) Um, so the documentary then I might've missed that, but when, when was it, is it released yet? Has it been out or was it still upcoming? It's
1: been out. It came out in Pakistan. Um, and so I have, I have been meaning to get it back on amazon so but it's basically um you know it was released on pakistan tv because that was you know what it was for
0: yeah and how have people responded to that those who have seen it
1: well they it's you know they they really understood they they liked it i think um you know they understood how hard it was too um you know, and there um, things are a lot better now in Pakistan. So that's wonderful. Mm. Um, yeah, and I think they like it. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. So, um, I mean, over the, your career, you've covered sort of several different genres of music and inspired many people around the world. And during the prep for the interview, I was listening to all your different albums and I, I came across the transformations one and I just absolutely fell in love with it. I just found that Like my mind just completely cleared and it just opened up and I just felt everything just calm. It's, it's truly a great, great album. I really enjoyed listening to that. Um, and and the way I sort of described, it was like a a bit of a hybrid, I think, between traditional music and classical. And I was interested to find out if that was the case and if that was sort of you gearing up for a return to classical in terms of your upcoming albums.
1: Yeah, it was the case. It was um, you know, when you were talking about loving soundtrack music, that's you know, soundtrack music with vocals, basically. Mm. Um and it's very orchestral and exciting and Um, I was working with a producer in Pakistan who loved to write movie soundtrack music. So he wrote to the movies in Pakistan and released into India, too. And so it was very big and spatial and um, had these motifs. And I wanted to write an album about transformation, about spiritual transformation. And so we work together both in pakistan many times but also um you know by uh, sending music to and um i'm really proud of that album i think it's my most spiritually connected album Mm. you know it, it has these the lyrics are um you know about coming uh coming together coming uh, becoming one with yourself and spirituality and um and i really love the this the big quality of it you know the the soundtrack of all of the different sounds melding with the lyrics and the vocals
0: yeah definitely I, I get, it's almost like a sense of reflection as well you, you can really sort of zone out and just really concentrate on sort of being in the moment i think i love yeah. that i thought it was, i thought it was brilliant i really really enjoyed it
1: Oh, thank you. I'm so glad. (laughs) I'm so glad. I appreciate that.
0: You're very welcome. Um, so more recently, you've gone back to your first love of classical music and have produced a new album, which we'll come back to in a moment, but with so much of your career focused on universal music, um, and help spreading positive messages for people. Why go back to classical and why now?
1: Because it's a global pandemic and I can't go anywhere. That's why, but also it feels, I I go with my gut. It has always been there for me. I feel like I do have a spiritual connection that when I write music, it's me and all of the spirits writing together. Like it feels always very um, driven by something greater than me. And that was the message that, you know, this is a time of intense, reflection you know as musicians everything stopped for us all of my live shows all of my international performances um you know uh, and all of the the performance halls closed all the theaters closed and so it was a time of great and intense reflection and it i could feel a lot of you know um there has been so much loss there has been so much sadness and so much anxiety and you know people going through really really painful times um and it was the feeling that i should try to write and sing music that is calming that is spiritually calming and just physically calming and with my, I had done some research with my husband about classical music and music of the Baroque era specifically. And all of the statistics and, and uh, studies have shown that Mozart specifically makes you feel calm. And in a time of intense turbulence, he is very, uh, he just helps to align your brain. And so, you know, with myself feeling, feeling ang- anxious, I started just recording uh, classical opera songs from, from Mozart, from some of the Cosi Fan Tutte. And uh, it was bringing me some solace. And so I said, this is, you know, um, this is, it's interesting because I think a lot of other people kind of returned to their roots. Um, in in some aspects of their life, you know, you return to simplicity, return to your roots, and my roots were classical, and so I think that was also comforting to me. But I do know just with um, statistics and with um, the, all of the studies show that Mozart realigns the brain waves to make them more in connection with each other, and uh, really helps to relax all of the fiery fiery goodness that's going on up there and it brings peace and that's just i just wanted to bring peace i
0: wonder because obviously the the music's so old the data suggests of course that mozart music is actually great for the brain you just told us about that but at the time it was written i don't you he would never have known that's what it was going to be or how his music is going to sort of influence people i wonder what it is about the music then that that kind of triggers those synapses around the brain to kind of open and connect and just kind of fly around. I don't think it's yeah. a real answer for that. It's just a kind of,
1: yeah. no, it's, you know, I have, I have, um, looked into it and read a lot about it because the, um, So the cerebral cortex is the front part of your brain. And this, the front part has also connected with the cerebellum and the cerebellum is where music is. So for example, where people, um, elderly people who have Alzheimer's, they can't speak properly and they don't have good memories, but they do have musical uh, memories and they can often sing complete songs and when I don't know if you've heard these studies, this is the the it's the primal part of your brain um, and the uh, the musical memories that are there can be easily recalled from this part of your brain when this part of your brain kind of goes so they say that listening to music helps even out the um, the brain waves, there's the delta and the I don't know, I don't know the the you know the, there's all the different brain waves. There's the really low ones, there's the higher ones that make you anxious and make you you know worried and thinking. And when you can level out the higher brain waves, it evens out the and 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 helps the brain be more productive.
0: Hmm, that's interesting. Just thinking about um, our earlier conversation about language learning you saying it's actually easy to learn a new language if you've got music to sort of sing to or sing sing like you sing the alphabet i wonder if that's to do with the same yes. same system there like if you sing it you're more likely to remember
2: it
1: yes here you're memorizing with your language but if you're singing you're using your corpus cl- corpus callosum to to align that with a a musical um the musical part of your brain which does mm. help to memorize so That's- even people with stroke or with um you know with brain damage they use song to ha- as part of, of the therapy to help get you know to help bring and then it helps bring functions
0: mm, definitely yeah
1: it's
0: quite a fascinating subject when you start when you start diving into it isn't it
1: It's really fascinating. I can speak as no authority on this topic at all, (laughs) just as a fan, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So your new album, Heather Schmidt Mozart Arias, features four of Mozart's most beautiful Arias and is already on digital platforms now. So what was the inspiration behind the album, and in particular, those four pieces?
1: Uh, These were my favorites, and uh, I just... Um I was gonna go on and on and on forever writing and singing and writing and singing and I said, I'm gonna just release these ones and it also felt like the time. I just always go by intuition that you know this is the time to let these out into the world and whatever happens happens and um you know, and I liked the the light fun quality of these of these ones um, una donna is beautiful and lyrical, but you know, they don't take themselves too seriously and they're, you know, fun, which I thought was a good, Mm. a good uh, theme, overall theme.
0: I was kind of hoping they'd connect to the whole brain functionality, like those, those four in particular, sort of those sequence of songs might be the most optimum productivity, that kind of thing.
1: (laughs) Well, I did. You could just I did. lie and
0: go, yeah. That's like, That's the truth. Yeah, that was, yeah
1: it. <laughs> that's it. That's exactly it. And well, you know, I did do that study. So, um, so we worked with the Neuroscience Media Group, and I put on an EEG machine to read the brain, might read my brain waves, and so I um, sang Bati Bhati, and then I looked at what my I, I was listening to Bhati Bhati, which is the first um, aria on the album, and then I wanted, and then I was looking at specifically what my brain was doing. And we, we put this out on YouTube, but you can see the alpha waves, which is the highest waves going, going, going like this, and then starting to slowly, slowly, like get in line, I would say. And you can see a really obvious, um, it's very cool to see the obvious change and it goes right as the song is going, in, and by the end, all of them are pretty much aligned. It was amazing. Wow, to see that!
0: So, is that does that vary person to person? Because I, I would you've obviously got a love for classical, so your brain might naturally yes. want to sort of right. align to that. But just, if you try it with different people, do they have the same response? Do you know?
1: They say it's cultural, they say it's cultural. So, for example, um. If you grew up in India and you listened only to Raga and classical Raga, it's different. It's different. It's an entirely different tonal structure. So that, uh, could have the same positive effects. Um, but you know, Western, Western researchers study Western music for the most part. Um, but they do say that it is culturally driven. Yes.
0: Okay. Fascinating stuff that. Um, it really is. So on the album then, uh, which orchestra did you work with to provide the music?
1: Well, I used the tracks of full orchestras. So the orchestras had played together and then I added my vocal to it because the global pandemic, we couldn't play together. And even orchestras weren't playing at all at that time. So um, this was a workaround. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is opera...
0: As technically difficult as it sounds, or is yes. that just simply a trade? It is. <laughs> Basically. Facts, yes. Facts, yes. How much time was spent in the recording studio? To Too record much
1: this? time. <laughs> Too much time. Days, <laughs> weeks. Like, yeah. You know, that's the kind of thing that's what it drew me to it in the beginning, because it's like, oh, you can just dig so deep and never have it the way you want it. And you dig even deeper, and it's like you have a little piece that's the way you want it. And then you, there's so much to it. There's so much to it. There's the the vocal quality. That's the tone quality. There's the the interpretation of the music. It's the lyrics. It's um, you know the relationship to the orchestra and following the line of this motif. And it's just, it goes very deep. And you have to at some point just say, this is what I am sending into the world and you know it's an interpretation
0: yeah exactly i always feel like with opera it's quite hard to record the voice because the tones really are so is. high you have to kind of either stand back from the mic or just it's a lot of technical i think a lot more technical on the on the recording side than yeah. people might not realize
1: uh- Yes, that is really true. I have for 10 years tried to record in different studios across the world, my classical opera voice um, to very little success. Um, because you either are so far away from the mic is here, you can't hear the whole overtones of the voice has overtones. So this is the note that you're singing and all of this is overtones. So you want, that makes a part of the entire sound. So if you're this far away, you're only getting the ones that's directionally right mm-hmm. into the microphone. But if you're this far away, you just blew out the mic because it's just too loud. <laughs> yeah. So it's an actual real issue. And I think someday a producer or an engineer will make an opera singer's microphone that can take the the intensity of their voice. Because now what they do is the, the, the real way to do it is have the full orchestra surrounding the opera singer, and we all sing and play together as one so that you have uniformity of sound. But I do not think that that is the optimal way to record vocals. It's my yeah, it's, so, it's
0: sort of counterintuitive because the way I would, again, I'm not an expert, but the way I would do it is you, you you layer it. So if you've got more than one instrument or more than one vocal, you just have to record each one separately. I suppose with an orchestra itself, you you record that as as one aspect of A full it.
1: uniform sound.
0: Yeah, but with a voice, you'd sort of have to mix it.
1: Yeah, the voice is supposed to be absolutely in the middle of that sound. I mean, traditionally, there's a lot of traditions in opera in the classical world that I'll be happy to leave behind. Um, and the misogyny might be the very first one. <laughs>
2: uh-huh.
1: yeah, but, um, but, but the, you know, that it, isn't the most, it isn't the most optimal way to record with the singer surrounding or within the um, orchestral parts. But That's what they do.
0: Hmm, I didn't know that. Yeah. I guess that's why when you go and see an opera live, you get a much better experience or, or, or do you? Because if you're on a stage, I mean, do you still, you still have a mic, right? So you'd still have that same, no. which you don't.
1: There's no, there's supposed to be no microphones in opera. Wow. There secretly are some, but they're <laughs> very secretly and they're just like to get the full sound because it's supposed to be a, a, a uniform sound that everybody is playing everybody's equal they everybody's equal mm. the cello player the violin the the timpani and the vocal are all equal members
0: so in that regard then is there sort of like an optimum um sort of space in which to perform opera like is obviously the larger the venue the more your voice travels maybe it doesn't hit the back of the room as you'd hoped, or perhaps the shape of the room might alter acoustics.
1: Yes. yes. Well, there is, there is a, a whole subcategory of people who get a lot of money to design the perfect acoustics for a, uh, uh, an opera hall, a concert, uh, a classical concert arena, because it is like this bounces off this, this it's, it's very, um, acoustical science. Wow. It's an acoustical science. There's so, a lot yes, that
0: goes into it. A lot,
1: there a lot is, of engineering, know, really, like, isn't there? Yes, it's really. Um, and so that's why when the opera singer is sitting on the, of course, their voice has to project to the past, to the last seat in the auditorium. And that's the training. That's why it's so hard. You have to gain that much um physical strength in your vocal cords they're just these tiny little things back here but you have to be able to create that sound that hits the very back of the arena and also be musical and also be you know integrating all of the um you know the the composers feeling and emotion of that scene and so yeah
0: in a way, it sort of reminds me of acting in a way you've got, you've got to obviously, like you say, with the, with the, the lyrics and the, the conductor, you've got to be able to perform and tell the story, but it is quite an emotive piece of artistry as well is, is opera? It's It's very much, it's just singing poetry, isn't it? I guess.
1: Yes, and it's not even your language. So if it's Italian, you have to be able to really understand. Good point. Yeah,
0: good point. You know, uh, is, that, is that is that tricky as well? Do you do you learn just enough to sing the songs, or can you speak Italian as well?
1: <laughs> you know, it's better if you know more, and uh, the more you do it, the more you kind of. Uh, Italian is not the hardest language to learn. You know, it's similar to the Romance language. It kind of sticks with you a little bit once you've been singing um opera enough and enough italian you kind of understand you just it it naturally happens i don't know if that's true for everybody but it's um it helps with the interpretation and the um there's that you know it's always that joke that the opera singers are terrible actors and it it's because sometimes they really are because they've spent so much time working on the artistry of their musical instrument that they really didn't like you know spend as much time developing the character um nowadays I feel like it's different. There are some amazing actors and storytellers and emotive beings that happen to have like the amazing voices. So mm. um, you know, it's a it's a hard balance to to get.
0: Do you have any funny anecdotes you can share with us during the project? Uh
1: for Mozart?
0: Yeah, for Mozart. Mozart
1: yes. Uh well. I started off recording in a recording studio in, um, it's a really nice studio, I love it, it's right by my house. Um, and they, uh, I was able to get in a few, it was me and the, um, the, the producer, the engineer basically. So I was, you know, with COVID protocols, I was like, we can, you know, just work this out, the two of us. Um, and then uh, they closed. Oh. So, I, so they closed because, um, there was a, there was an outbreak. And so they closed the entire studio and they're not open yet. Even they're not even open yet. So, um, I don't know. I think there was a bunch of different stuff, but that was, um, a, a, a difficult thing to get through. So I bought his equipment and put it into my house, and now I have all of the equipment for a really cool recording studio upstairs. And that's how I finished the album. It was like a real resilience in a COVID oh, wow. protocol studio. Like it, it was, um, it was, it was great to be able to finish it where I didn't really know if I could.
0: Do you think now you have all the equipment that you would produce more music and kind of get into yes! rhythms? Especially yes, with, co- right. with with the lockdown and stuff, you'll be able to just crack them out bit by bit.
1: Yes. Yes. We've been experimenting with EDM music lately. It's been a little fun. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Anything's possible. Like a lot of people have home studios now. Um, that's
0: true. This is my home studio.
1: I was going to say that microphone looks very <laughs> professional. Is that a Neumann?
0: It's no. It's, um, I can't remember what it is now.
1: Oh, I don't know. It's Either a Rode or. NT2A. A Rode. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah
0: I, was just, I was looking, where's it, where's it, where's it Tell me? There's actually a big, big icon on there. You can oh, see it here. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah mode NT2A. Um, okay, that's Yeah, awesome. weirdly, I, I bought it because I, I mean, for a variety of reasons, partly for doing these podcasts, partly yeah. for doing voiceover work. Um, it's great for meetings, but also for singing. I can't sing that well, by the way. I just do it for laughs. For fun. That's
1: yeah. what it's all for. It's yeah, all for fun.
0: I'm not going to crack open my vocal cords today, but... Uh,
1: <laughs> no, okay. There's
0: them on my YouTube channel if you want to take a look.
1: <laughs> awesome. Um so and, and, cool. and
0: obviously for, for from a critique point of view, you'll probably notice there's a bit of a bit of autotune in there, but shh, don't tell anyone.
1: Really? Oh oh uh, no. There's no yeah. I didn't hear anything. No. That yeah. is industry standard to have auto-tune on every song. Even if it yeah. sounds like they don't have it, they do. It's a yes. secret.
0: I've heard the same secret. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe we'll cut that bit out of the edit just for (laughs) keeping it a secret. (laughs) So we talked about the science, about the areas in terms of the the brain activity. Do you hope listeners will take more away from the album than what the science says?
1: I just, you know, I want it to be relaxing. And if it's for you, then it's for you. And if it's not for you, then it's not for you. You know, it's... um, People have such immensely strong feelings about classical music, but I feel like nowadays people are using it, uh, using music as like a tool, you know. And particularly classical music is, can be used as a tool. So if you want to clean your whole house and you don't have the focus or in, you know you use classical music to just, you know chill your brain out. Or if you want to study for for your test and you just really want to have every, you want to have a calm, clear brain then you can use classical music as a tool. Um, If you, you know, if you're feeling anxious They did another interesting study about people who are in the middle of an anxiety attack and classical music was one of the things that helped to calm their brain. I know people who listen to classical music all night while they're sleeping, you know, and I feel like it's a a nice tool.
0: Rhea said to me actually um, that she listens to your album when she goes to sleep.
1: That's awesome. That makes me so happy. That's, I'm,
0: I'm, that was a, where I said that I realized it didn't sound very positive, but no, it came it in the positive. most complimentary way possible. Yeah. It is
1: absolutely positive. And I also hold no connection to where my music goes and what it does. You know, it's, it's out there and however it feels close to you, or if it does, or if it doesn't, it's best as a musician to let it go. You know, And, um, I just know that for me, it, yes, it's relaxing in the nighttime. You have all these thoughts. You're like, I have to go to dinner and I have to do, and you, it just helps you to, you know, align the brainwaves. Yeah.
0: So what, what is your takeaway based just from your album? Like when you, when you listen to it throughout, what, what, what do you feel? How do you respond to that? Is it the same way?
1: No, it isn't because as an artist. We are so, as a uh, artist, we are so self-critical. I, I am so, I hear every little thing that I want to change. I hear every little thing that I liked, but I could have liked. It's, it's really, it's still in the place where it's totally in my head of, you know, the creation process of like. So after a while... I will be able to listen to it and enjoy it as like an art form, <laughs> but it takes a while for me.
0: It makes me wonder, actually, when it comes to live performances, we've already talked about how, you know, a live performance is better because you get a more, you get a, a thicker range, I guess, of the vocal cords vocal and stuff. But when it comes to... Um, recording it you mentioned you were there for hours days recording trying to perfect every moment yes. does that in some way put more pressure on you for a live performance knowing that you yeah. you were trying to get that perfection that you've been ta- doing take and take and takes on for the recording in one sitting and does that does that um
1: yes it does it totally <laughs> does it exactly does because you have to make it sound like the album yeah and it doesn't always sound like the album <laughs>
0: So how there do you deal with extra pressure then because you've only got one taker doing it?
1: I mean you let it go. some things you just let go or you stress out about it. Also that happens you know. <laughs> um, I have to, I have to record uh, or I have to perform una donna in um, on Easter. So I have been working on getting it beautiful in one take, however it comes, you know? Mm -hmm. So after this, I'm gonna be, again, working on uh, practice. There's so much practice involved. And, um, and then the day of, I really just try to let it go because I want to be just the vehicle for the music, right? Not the, if you get in your own head about it, you really lose the performance aspect of it. You want it to be enjoy. It's, it's a gift, right? It's just, you're the vehicle and however it happens, however it comes out, it's, you know, it's just what was meant to be that day. And I try to be at peace with that because that's the best way to, be a storyteller.
2: Yeah. Mm.
0: Yeah. And I think that also goes with people who mime as well. It's like, yes, you can mime, but you don't get that raw feeling. I think, I think having a live performance, however it sounds, it is that moment. And like you say, you're, you're the vehicle for on that, on that day. So I think people can just relate to you better and connect with you better. And I think that's probably valued higher than actually how you perform it.
1: Yeah. You want to be lost in the moment you know, and you want it just to be, yes, yeah. And also people people are more forgiving when you're in person and unless it really goes to hell, which also happens, you know, but, um, <laughs> you know, people, yeah, people understand that it's not going to be exactly as the album. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think that's a good thing. I think, I mean, personally, when I hear, like even just going back to Star Wars again, I went to watch um, the orchestra live,
2: performing to
0: like the the movie and stuff. And you compare it to the album. Yes. It's the same song. Yes. You can kind of hum along to it, but you expect it to be different and it does sound different. And I love that it does because it, it's, it gives you a sort of like a refreshing, um, take on how that music is. Yes. Yeah,
1: yes, yes. They're going to do crescendo in this section and this section is going to be quieter. They held this part longer and if the conductor's interpretation is different.
0: And actually I love the instruments as well, because you are instruments that you don't pick up on, on the album, when you see them and hear them being performed, you go, oh, wow. So that's cause there's sometimes. you you, you even watch the, the orchestra and you know, the, you see the violinists going like the clappers just, yeah. I'm going. I can't really hear them, but I know they're doing something. And then, yes. then sometimes they come in and you get their little solo piece, and you go, "I would never known that was the instrument." Oh, yeah. I just love that whole insight into it.
1: Finding out, yes, yes, yeah. and there's a person there playing every single one of the pieces, and it's all coming <laughs> together. You know.
0: It's just a wonderful little journey to go on, really. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: So, along with your music career. And your clear vision of unity around the world, especially during these testing times, what else are you working on?
1: I don't know yet. <laughs> I wanted to uh, do a second Mozart album, but I've also been very much into women composers. One of the things that came out was uh, through my classical, getting back into classical music was you know, the, um, well, the depth of misogyny, the, you know, the, the women didn't get uh, d- women composers didn't get the same opportunities. And even today, you know, there's only now just one or two uh, com- uh, conductors. That's a, that is a woman. So as an artist, I would love to bring classical female composers to light and so that was something that I had been thinking about and talking to my coach and my manager about you know doing something that is related to um you know related to to celebrating classical women composers
0: um so you've recently been awarded the inspiring woman of the year award in Karachi were you surprised to be awarded the honor
1: I thought that was so wonderful. Yes, I was totally surprised that was really great um, and also because that uh, that place the rotary uh, the Rotary club is different in Karachi is a huge organization traditionally run all by men um, you know for years of course and attended by men business owners and this year the vice president is a woman and um, I think that she really um, and so I'm and there's way more women involved in that program too so I also felt so honored to be among such wonderful, um, you know, the, to be appreciated by such wonderful business leaders of Pakistan. That was so great.
0: Oh, well, congratulations yeah. on, on the award.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Interesting you mentioned, actually, that more women on the the panel and stuff, if you like, because yeah. like we were just talking about it, women now are, are getting more empowered with different job roles and stuff. And I think that's great that equality is starting to catch up, I suppose, with modern times, so. yeah Yeah, it's really great stuff
1: yes Um, and Pakistan is catching up too they they have had a really wonderful um a wonderful journey that I've been following both on Instagram and on you know in in person in Pakistan women are really becoming so much more comfortable using their voice towards you know speaking more strongly out about things and in Pakistan there's been a really Uh, A beautiful truth to power moment with women leaders in Pakistan that has been incredible to watch.
0: Why do you think that change might be then? Is that because I know with the dawn of social media, there's a lot more awareness now, and people are campaigning and protesting, yeah. and so is, is do you think that's made that's made a, an impact in Pakistan Pakistan? I
1: really do. I really do because they would have a women's march in Pakistan now. They had a International Women's Day re- recently. They have a lot more influence from. Um, but yes, social media, they've seen how women, um, around the world have used their voice, mm-hmm. um, you know, to, to speak truthfully and, um, and it, and I've, I've seen it, the same thing happening in Pakistan it has been really incredible to watch.
0: One thing I was, I'd love to do, I don't know how it's going to work quite so is a performance. If we're able to get a performance out of you today. But I don't know, because obviously with the recording and stuff, it's quite tricky, isn't it? So I I don't know whether it's something, if you've got like a pre-recorded video that we may be able to show or whether it's something we can do live.
1: In 12 minutes, uh, 11 minutes, (laughs) I am recording a live recording in my other um, dining room, which has now become a performance hall. Oh, wow. So that is perfect timing. I can give you that.
0: That would be amazing. Yes, please. Yes, yes. Thank you very much for your time. Um, I really enjoyed chatting to you, learning more about your, your career and, and all the science behind the Mozart arias and stuff. It's been fantastic chatting with you.
1: Oh, thank you. Likewise. It's been really fun. Good. Um, And I wish
0: you all the very best with the upcoming album.
1: Thank you so much. No worries.
2: Thank you very much. Take
1: care. Yes. Thank you. Okay. Bye
2: bye.